and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. A couple of things stood out to me, and one of them was him saying that Shaden can be a starting caliber two guard in the NBA. There's only no. one way that can happen. Look, man, I was intentional with my questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you know, you know what you're, you know what you're doing, and Joe, and Joe, I don't know whether you can say to his credit, or I mean, to his credit, probably for for Rasan's job, but maybe uh-huh. to his detriment for us, for our purposes, he's getting he's getting better at hiding. He's getting answers. good at not answering. Like he's, I think in the past he's you know maybe been too honest about this mm-hmm. kind of stuff for their uh you know liking. He's gotten good at not saying much, but there's still like there's, there's enough sprinklings. There's enough subtext there if you want to look at it. I think when he just like rattled off like the guys that they like and that they're building around him, not mentioning Nurkic was notable. And I think him saying that, uh, that, uh, you know, Shaden Sharp is a starting two guard in the NBA. I think that, I think the phrase two guard being in that answer was instructive. Telling. Yeah, no, I think it is too. And, you know, I've, we, we talked to Ant about, the whole idea of this at exit interviews. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to him in the sense of like, you know, the the business side of things. And he kind of reiterated the same thing. Like I'm aware that what the prevailing thought is like, as far as who's the guy who's going to be gone, it's, it's not a secret. And that's the thing is like, I think, if, and that's part of the reason why I think if they got Wemby, they'd want to try to get as much leverage as humanly possible. Because if they land Wemby early, you can maybe take that to the deadline and and let's say at the deadline you've got you know, what thirty, let's say thirty three wins already, and you're you're rolling, you're a three seed in the West, you've got some questions you need to answer defensively, but you're gonna make a big move. And maybe you visit that move this summer, but that team's like, ah, oh, we're not quite ready yet. Or kind of like the Jeremy at the deadline last year situation. Yeah. But I kind yeah. of feel like the that was at the deadline this year was that they that they kind of visited a lot of that stuff. Look, from people that I've talked to around the league, and I know people will get mad at me and say, "Oh, you're carrying the Trailblazers' water." I know of two different trades that the Trailblazers were wildly aggressive on. Very, very competitive offers. Uh, one that I was shocked it wasn't accepted. So I'm assuming we can't talk about them. No, we definitely can't talk about those because they didn't happen and they may revisit them this summer. So it's one of those things where it was. I, I know people are like, oh, I'm sure they really did that. You mean you and I have talked about this? I mean, it gets it gets it gets into Danny Ainge territory back when he was with the Celtics. Of every time a star gets traded, like it gets leaked out. Like oh, sources say say Danny Uh Ainge was really close to getting like, like, which is why Joe doesn't do that. And that's the thing is, I I don't think Joe's a guy who does a lot of the horse trading stuff behind the scenes. This is something that we've talked about before. I've actually like we've I've had this conversation with Joe before Mm -hmm. that 
part of maybe his problem with a lot of this public perception stuff is that he doesn't play the game in that way. No. Like, I, like, like, just to use one example, and obviously there are a lot of GMs that do stuff like this, but... Pretty much all, but maybe three. How how many years has Daryl Morey invited every single national NBA writer to the Sloan Conference and like gone on Bill Simmons' podcast and all this other? Or kind of I don't stuff. know, hosted a ping pong tournament in Vegas and it invites all the me, which I've been to before. Yeah, I've too. But yeah. but like because of that, and I think I th- I think something a lot of people who aren't like Endearing. in our end of the business don't really understand is just how much of this stuff is driven by which. GMs or agents like. or whoever do or do not like feed stuff or talk to whoever as far as like people like the, so there are certain GMs like you know Daryl Morey's one I think Sean Marks is one with all this Brooklyn stuff where you're always gonna hear you know on whatever platforms like you know oh you know Daryl Morey like who knows me could he get Dame like that what's his next move gonna be if Harden leaves like and, you know, or you know, this Yuri wants three first round picks and says he's gonna get them for, for OG, OG and Anobi. You don't hear anybody in any of these conversations Portland's never talk about nobody. Anywhere. You're not you're not hearing on any of these on any of these podcasts or these talk shows or whatever. Hey, watch out for Portland. They could make a big move, and that's because Joe doesn't really do the like Joe. Like Joe is very easy to talk to, and like you can have a conversation with him, but he's not gonna give you like. When he and I talk, I don't really push him for, like, intel or scoops or whatever because I know, A, I know he's not going to give it to me, and B, I just, like, we have more of that kind of relationship where, like, yeah. we can just talk about stuff and he doesn't feel like I'm trying to get something out of him. But Joe doesn't do that. Like, the, mo, mo, most GMs have somebody that they feed something to uh, yeah. as far as, like, one of the national, like, the newsbreakers or scoops. And Joe doesn't, as far as I know, Joe doesn't really, you know, Neil certainly did, but, like, Joe does not. Th- there, have think, been, there have been agents that have fed stuff out since Joe has been in charge. Yeah, I mean, but I, I'll be honest when the CJ stuff that I, I had the CJ trade about a month before it was finally put through uh-huh. and I had the framework I for it about a month ahead of time. I'll tell you right now, it wasn't from Joe. Yeah. No, Joe, Joe has never, I mean, Joe and I <laughs> talk some, I mean, I, I know Joe quite well, but he's never given me any kind of like, Oh, you know, I'm going to give you this scoop so that you can break it first and yeah. get a bunch of re- like, I've never asked him for any of that. He's never given any of that to me. I don't expect that from they, they, him, the but they a lot of, put- a lot of, a lot of GMs have kind of figured out that if you feed certain people that yeah. type of information so that they can get their retweets or you, they can get their, you know, they were first They're on this trade yeah. or whatever, then they will get talked about in a certain way on some of these other platforms. The interesting thing is during the old share, the, Rumor mill stuff was significantly tighter yeah. than it is now under Joe. I remember like the Larry Nance trade in the summer of uh, of 21. Mm-hmm. That was out of nowhere. Yeah. And I, I got word about that probably three hours before it went through. And that's that was typical. Like I would hear, oh, hey, something's coming now. As far as the lead up, there was nothing. Everything I was had to get was from agents that were involved or tangentially or the uh, the other team. That's right. where I was would get intel from. The rumor mill stuff is louder under Cronin, but the final transaction they tamped down as quiet or quieter than the old share. Like that's that's the kind of the, the craziness when you talk about that and. And even it's, the rumor mill stuff, we're not, none of us are getting that from Joe. 
No, that's what I mean. But the, I think the the rumor mill stuff was almost non-existent under Neil, and that was what was really interesting. Is that there's it, there's a little bit more noise uh, on the market with Joe, but I also think that's because he's less hesitant to make deals. I, I mean, to be fully candid, I have not met a front office executive in the league who doesn't like and or appreciate Joe, or an agent, or yeah, and that's and that's. I think that's part of it is that because of that, there's more willing discussions and in under the previous management, that was not the case. And I think also the, I think, I think also just, you know, this is, this is something you and I have talked about. This is something you've, I think you've talked about this publicly, but something that Joe has said, I don't know if he said this in like one of his interviews or he said this to us or whatever, mm. but there are some GMs where, you know, Danny Ainge is obviously one. Messiah is one. Where mm-hmm. their goal when doing any trade is they want to be talked about like, yo, they got fleece. This, you know, yeah. they just got everything. They want to win a transaction. Joe approaches every trade from what he, you know, what he said. His approach mm-hmm. is he wants both teams to walk away feeling like they got what they wanted to yeah. get out of it. The like goals, I think, like I think, met. like I think this, I think this Josh Hart trade of the deadline is a good example of that where the Knicks got a guy who was going to help them win now, and he's been awesome so far in the yes. playoffs in that series against the Cavs, and the Blazers got a first-round pick for a guy they weren't going to re- re-sign. So for what both teams were trying to do with that trade, it was a good trade, and now... Both teams extracted real value. And I think that doing that, like, in the short term, like, people are going to say, oh, you didn't get as much value for this as you could have. In the long term, it's going to make other teams more willing to do business with you. Whereas some of this stuff that you talk about that I've also you know heard about as far as like deals that they were really aggressive on at the deadline that didn't end up getting done. Like the, the you know, the Jeremy Grant stuff at the deadline last year is an example. If Joe well, didn't Pistons have... wanted another pick at that time. Yeah. And because they weren't sure of where that Pelicans pick was going to land. Right. And they said, lo and behold... <laughs> And they said, and then they said, let's circle back. And then they did circle back. If Joe had kind of the reputation of, oh, this is a cutthroat GM who only wants to do a trade. If you, if he fleeces you, then maybe Detroit's not as willing to revisit that trade in the summer. And so you plant your seeds at the deadline or in the summer and the summertime you revisit the deadline, the deadline you revisit in the summer. And so you can keep these transaction windows open. You, you check in throughout the season as, as things change and if you're again, if like if you're Danny Ainge, you you know you're getting in a cage with the beast. And like I, I I've said at a certain point, people aren't gonna want to deal with it. Because do you remember do you, I mean this is like going back into like Blazer's history, but when Kevin Pritchard was here The Pritch slap. The Pritch slap thing, eventually that started rubbing some people the wrong way that he mm-hmm. got a little bit too much credit for a couple of good trades that he made, and now people don't really want to deal with you anymore. And he's just changed since then. He has because because if you look at the deal that transpired last year between the Kings and the Pacers, it is a monumental deal that sends Sabonis to Sacramento and Halley to uh, Indiana. And that's a deal that, you know, it only happens and makes sense if both sides feel like they're getting the value that they need. Absolutely. Uh, how do we think the Chicago thing is going to shake out with the picks and the protections? I'm not worried about it at all. A- at all. Whatever it takes. If, if Does it need to be the New York Knicks first-round pick? Maybe. Does it need to be five second-round picks? Maybe. The, the thing that I keep hearing from people is that, you know, the Bulls have all the leverage. They don't have any leverage. Are you kidding me? They, they, they still owe a pick uh, to the Orlando Magic. 
they're they're bereft of assets. Don't they have they don't they owe one for the DeRozan trade also? Or did that already I think that is conveyed. I think I, I think they're because I know this this still... year this year Orlando. No, no, they has. got it done with the Pertle one, yeah. Or so, this one Orlando has. Yes. And that's the thing is like Chicago and here's the other part of this. Um, I did have Joe on. One of the things is, and I highlighted it in the interview, is that the CBA hasn't been ratified yet. Right. And so I could not ask him about the value of second round picks because we saw a spike in second round picks at the trade deadline. Like we've never seen. Almost to the point that like, I was like, I didn't even know there were that many second round picks to be traded. It's like, did you, are there a machine back there printing second round picks? There was two different deals or three different they're deals. They're just like NFT. Like, like, yeah. There's like you a just, run on them and then they, they have, yeah. <laughs> but with the way exceptions are now, that you can cut off, you or you have a second round exception, so you don't have to cut off from the MLE anymore. The value of second round picks kind of goes, not kind of, it goes up. So does that capital, especially if you have five of them? Actually, I believe the Blazers have access to nine. Uh, they have six. That oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it's the Knicks pick that would have allowed access to nine. Had well, no, well, no, well, no, because I, because well, no, because I a story that I wrote uh, on Monday about this stuff. When I was going through it, I was like checking because originally I had I had them at nine also, but I was checking some stuff with it. Like one of them, I think I think the twenty twenty eight one they can't trade because that's what goes to Chicago if they don't convey okay, the other one. So it's like it was. so it's they like, actually, it's a placeholder, and then they've traded like all their own, I think all their own second round picks. They I, they have six. The the point being they they if they wanted to do a trade tomorrow involving every available second round pick that they have to trade, they could trade six second round picks. So there you go. So, but there's value in them. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing is that it wasn't just Portland like, oh, we'll take five second round picks from not knowing. They had an inkling of what is going to come in the CBA. That's how this works. Yeah, because the owners and the, you know, the players union are discussing this stuff. And I don't know whether it's Jody or Bert that was at those negotiating table representing the Blazers on mm-hmm. the board of governors, but who, whichever one of them it was that was negotiating that stuff with the players union was telling Joe what was going on. And 100%. he was able to make plans. Like every owner is going to say, Hey, like they're going to pass know, that on to the, during GM. the negotiation saying, Hey, you know, just for your purposes for future team building plans. Like this is what the luxury tax is going to look like. This is what, uh, here's what your MLE is going to be. Yeah. Here's like, this, this, this potential, uh, uh, punishment that comes along on a second level of a luxury tax uh-huh. like there's, there's all of these different mechanisms and they're because they're building their books out because they have they, because they literally have books that they build out for years so that they can adjust as necessary which was joe's job under literally Neil, the cba is, guy under Neil. which i think it's asia jones that does that now mm-hmm. that's kind of that's how the new org structure is because now that joe is the gm he doesn't have time to be the sole person i think so i i'm my understanding is that it's asia that does that stuff now but like joe, but like but under neil that was joe's job yeah and that's the thing is and he, and he said he uh what i've asked him about you know kind of like his uh his duties changing mm-hmm. um was that he has spread it out yeah I, 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 there there are other people in there that help him with cba stuff to keep you know even though it's front of mind for him he still got to deal with family stuff and getting guys relocate like there's so many like I, the things a GM does, everybody just think it's making trades and transactions and all those things. The day-to-day stuff, it is literally different every single day. 
It's a business meeting here. It's sponsors there. Uh, it's working with ambassadors. Like there's just, there's always so much that kind of goes into it. And so you have assistant GMs that help. Like everybody's like, well, Mike Schmitz is the, is the draft guy. Yes. But there's also Andre goes out and scouts and Sergi goes out and scouts and Asha goes out and scouts. Sheree, and yeah. Like every Sheree goes out and scouts. Um, and that, that's actually something like kind of, I, I mean, there, there have been some cases where it was one scout that is like, cause when I was doing this story that I did on Ibu Baji, yeah. I was, you know, I was just, I was, I wasn't even like trying to interview Joe about him. I was just like, I, I was just chatting with him before a game and I was like, tell me something interesting about Baji. Cause I'm about to go interview him. And he was like, Oh, go talk to Mike. Mike's the one that's the expert on Baji. Because so he was some, a guy that Mike found. And so in some cases, it is like, this is one guy. I think, you know, I think Shaden Sharp might be another case where, like, Mike is basically one of the only people that had actually seen, that actually seen him play in person. But for the most part, I think, you know, the idea that, oh, uh, well, you know, they hired Mike Schmitz. That must be the only reason they found this guy. Or that must be the only reason they this guy was on their radar. A lot of times, you know, that's kind of overblown and that's not you know it's not it's not it's not as simple as i think a lot of people make it out to be and by the way i'm still learning about how this stuff all works too like i i probably know a little bit more about it than most people listening to this just because i you know talk to these people and you know hear about this stuff you know firsthand but i i don't know i don't know even close to like all of how how all this stuff works i'm still there's still stuff i don't know about how these organizations work oh yeah no and i don't think that they're the Blazers are going to truly understand how they're going to work and their differentiations and who washes what hand and who helps who. I think part of that. If I had to characterize Joe, the one of the, or if I should say one of the things that the characteristics about Joe that stands out the most to me is his ability to bring that out. people. Is that the, the, the allowance of not having to be the, the loudest voice in the room. Right. Now, everything I've heard about, like from people who have worked with him, is that he listens a lot more than he talks in these in these uh, meetings, like front office meetings, whatever other meetings. He's, you know, he he, he you know he, he he's. I think so far he's. When you look at the people that he's brought in, like it's all people who have different expertises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that they've grown their scouting department significantly since the changeover from Neil Joe. Uh, their international scouting department, their diversity within their departments. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not a secret that they've gone out and hired women, not just on the basketball side of things, but the business side of things. Not only women, but black women. Like mm-hmm. they, they, have, they have done things very purposefully mm-hmm. at numerous levels to affect changes that the organization needed. And I, again, I think a big part of that helped. And not a big part, a, a, the driving force of that is Joe. And I mean, not not to not to put too fine a timeline on it, but I think there's a good chance that in the very near future, there's going to be other stuff from the basketball ops side that's going to be out there too, as far as new investments in different things. Yes, a hundred percent. I definitely think there, there's there's ways that they're looking to to expand their footprint and be more involved in. Like that's again, I, I would imagine that on that front they're gonna do the exact same things. Yeah, I'm 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 interested to see how that all plays out. Uh what have been your impress like real real quick before we before we get out of here, what has your takeaway been from the playoffs so far? Like is there anything you've been watching in particular, anything you've been enjoying? Jimmy Any- Jimmy Butler's a monster. Mm-hmm. 
We, yeah. we, we, we were that was lucky fun yesterday. My God. Uh, we were lucky enough to have Dame's 55 point game uh, here and see it in person. albeit the one that they lost. That was in uh, Denver. But no, I'm saying like in Portland, we get to see like that game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, happen. Like the, the team that we cover kind of a deal, like how right. insane that performance was when we talked about that as one of, if not the greatest individual performance in a game we'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. What Jimmy did last night might've surpassed that. Like it, that was they, ne- they needed every single point. He had 56 and he was a plus four. Like that's just, that's honestly more like Dame's fifth, like the game, the, the, la- the closeout game against Oklahoma City, where Dame hits mm. the shot. But he had fifty in that game, and they needed that last second shot. They, 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 they needed that. He had forty-seven. He needed those three, that three to, to send him home. And it's funny, nobody ever mentions the fact that he has fifty in that game. It's the shot, right? Um, the Grizzlies going out sad has been wah. Uh, the it's so funny to me that the Grizzlies have become so hated that. Everybody's... From so much fun to absolutely well, but, everybody hates But him. that pretty much all of like NBA Twitter is now rooting for the Lakers because Which is people hate the, because people hate the Grizzlies so much. And it's, it's just so it's weird. so it's so self-inflicted too, because you want it to be like before all this, you know, the stuff with the guns and whatever, like Jaw seemed like a pretty likable dude. Jaron, I think, is, and it's just incredibly it, high high Q ratings. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like they were like a year ago when they had that fun playoff series against mm-hmm. Minnesota. Everybody was like, "Oh, this is the next. They're they're the new Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Oklahoma City. Yeah. They're like the and now now it's like but this kind of goes back to the stuff that we were talking about before about like you need to have adults in the room and they're kind of yeah. learning that the hard way." What's interesting is the um, lack of you know veterans, so to speak, in Sacramento with how good that they have been. Uh, I think yeah, the, but they've got Harrison Barnes. And like again, got, like, like but it's not it's like, not like they're loaded with that. Well, the, right, but like they, the they've got dudes side. though, like. Like sure, Har- like Harrison Barnes, Harrison Barnes plays more than any veteran player on the Grizzlies does. Sure, but uh, and Herder's got some playoff experience, but like Herder, the, like Malik, the Monk. collect the collective experience of the of the Kings, I believe, is a hundred and seven playoff games. Yeah, the Warriors have four different players with more playoff experience than the entirety of the Kings. Right, Steph, Clay, Dre, and Iggy, like. And then they've got guys up and down the roster with, with various amounts like of Like White Dante was on those, like, a couple of, like, oh, Bucks, Bucks teams. teams. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. They're, they're, there's real experience there. For the Kings to come out and play the way that they have, man, unbelievable. And it they, sounds they, like they, Fox is going to play tomorrow. He, he said unequivocally he's going to go. Uh, he said if the game was today, he'd play. Um, the other the other thing is not just Jimmy Butler shooting, you know, the lights out. I think he's shooting 63% in the series. It's the Heat shooting over 50% on contested threes. And that's with Tyler Hero, who's one of their best shooters, being out, out. for the series and breaking his hand. And it's not like the Bucks are playing bad defense. The, the Heat are getting 11 open threes a game. That is nothing. Nothing. The Kings, the Kings are getting over 22 double. Double the open threes that the Heat are getting against the Warriors. It's the inverse problem. The Kings can't hit threes. The, the Heat can't miss. And it, it's, it's kind of a telling point of two stories in the sense that the Kings should probably be up 3-1 on the Warriors. And the Bucks should probably be up 3-1 on the Heat. But because of poor shooting for the Kings and insane shooting for the Heat, both series are in a place that you probably didn't expect it to be based on the flow of each game. Here's a take I have, and I've been, I, I think I've mentioned this on Twitter. 
I think the NBA needs to go back to best of five for the first round. It'd make it spicy. It would make it spicy. I think the play-in plus best of seven is too much for these series that we just are kind of over at some point. Because, like, really, outside of, like, Kings Warriors has been awesome. Lakers Grizzlies has been awesome. Uh, Clippers Suns was looked like it was going to be really good, and then Kawhi and then got Kawhi, hurt, and now yeah. that one's basically a wrap. But, like, I'm kind of, like... Denver, Brooklyn, or... Uh, uh, Denver, uh, Minnesota. Denver, Minnesota, Philly. That could have been that could have been a sweep. We didn't need that. We didn't. They're, need they're, that. they're both basketball snuff films. Like it was just like yeah, we, we didn't. Nobody need, needs this. We didn't need that. Like I think I'm like I'd be okay if the if the Knicks just advanced now. We don't need Celtics Hawks was just, Celtics Hawks. That's just like I was uh, like I'm just like after after this past weekend I was just like you know what I'm good with Kings Warriors playing a couple more games, but like I'm kind of good on the rest of these. Yeah, I I think I. I can be talked into it. The NBA can't because they're sure, no, of course sure as hell not, not giving up playoff games. So much Regular more money. season games, maybe. Playoff games, absolutely not. If How? anything, they would add another round to this if they could. Where do you land on the in-season tournament? I, I'm pro. I'm pro in-season tournament. Um, the play-in, it was like, oh, nobody's going to care about this. It's going to be, you know, uh, no, th- nothing's going to be really impactful. You're going to have two play-in teams win here in the first round. You're going to have them go from uh, not winning a playoff series or, or excuse me, uh, uh, number 10 uh, seeds, not winning a game to making it in the playoffs to both of them winning. That's insane. Yeah. But also both of the, but play-ins, it's, it's, both it's, of the play in teams that are winning are seven seeds though. I know Miami is technically an eight seed because they lost the first game, but they had the seventh best record in the way in the East. But again, I'm saying like the it's useful. Right. And it's, the drama is there. No, I it agree. Is. It's been good. And so it was like, well, what's the midseason tournament going to be? What's the motivation going to be? Basketball. That's the motivation. Basketball. What if you got like four-fifths, three-quarters, the the playoff intensity, but you're ratcheting up beyond regular season, Not maybe not full playoff intensity, but you got that in December. You're telling me you don't want that? Is it going to be there in the first year? Hell if I know. Is it going to be there in year two? Maybe. Year 15? Who knows? Like, I, I struggle to, to see how it's a problem or why people would be against the idea of bringing more competitive basketball to basketball. It's more basketball that you care about. Is it different from the regular season? Yes. Okay. Go on. That's, that's I see. 100% I, where I, I I see it on paper. My my thing with it is like they're like, how much are players going to care about it? How much they, are players going to get up? How much are players going to get up and say, "Wow, we really need to win the midseason tournament"? If if the motivation's a million dollar a piece for a winners, it's five hundred k. But I'm saying like, let's say it's five hundred now. What if it goes to a milli? Which is a lot for some of the younger teams and younger players, but like LeBron I mean, doesn't hell, need that money. Like LeBron is. I'm telling you right now, Damian Lillard wants that money. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think there are going to be some guys that care about it more than others. Certainly, certainly but I think there's here. Here's the gross thing that people don't want to hear: there's people who care about the playoffs more than others. And when I'm not talking about people who watch it, I'm talking about players. Oh, there is certainly there have been there have been. There's a strong difference between Jimmy Butler and maybe some teammates that he played with in Minnesota previously. Mm, oh yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. No, I there's a story that I I heard once about uh when when Jimmy was in Minnesota, uh he and Taj gave uh somebody one of one of these folks you're maybe talking about uh a blank DVD and was like, "Hey, this is some this is our game film. Like we want you to watch this and make sure, you know, just and then and then the next Russell. And then the next day uh they asked that player, uh, "Hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about uh you know about what you watched he's like oh it was great i really learned a lot from it when they gave him a blank dvd they did the same thing to jamarcus russell with the with the oakland raiders yeah the coaching staff gave him a blank dvd and said go study this and they tested him the next day and and he was like yeah i watched it it was great huh yeah super cool so (laughs) um as a raiders fan it still like ah causes me to, to have an eye twitch but like that's the thing like, you're going to get competitive dudes caring. You throw some money on top of it, and it's like a, a million, even to like the big name guys, a million's still a million. Like, that's real money. And I think if you get the competition and the, and the money involved, yeah, I, I think guys will at least care this much more than a regular season game. And if they care that much more once, what about the next time? And the time after that, I, th- I think it's something you just have to build. Is it going to be the greatest thing day one? Probably not. But in five, 10 years, could it turn into something? Absolutely. And then maybe we're in a position where if it becomes big enough, popular enough, important enough, you can actually look at reducing the regular season games and make that midseason tournament matter more. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up though danny thanks a lot again for doing this you guys all know it's a vibe session here it's a vibe session you guys all know what it is jack (laughs) ramsey's danny and dusty on 1080 go get on it oh appreciate you man um i will say this we uh we locked in a spot for the uh for the draft lottery show so uh sprague and i will be live on location i'm gonna uh, dusty and i will do our radio show um i think we're gonna make the announcement on monday um we're going to do a, uh, a live show for the lottery. So everybody uh, come on down and we'll either celebrate or commiserate together. <laughs> yeah. I will. I will be in Chicago. Yes. You hopefully sneaking into the room. I'm not even, I'm not even sneaking. There actually are journalists that they invite in. You you, you just need to rig yeah. the lottery, the, the, the journalism lottery. So you can be, get the invite. I have made it known to who I need to make it known to that I would be interested in getting one of the invites. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But either way, I will be in Chicago that whole week. I'll be at the minimum. I will be at the, uh, you know, I'll be in the audience when they the read unveiling. out on TV, and you'll be and, there for the combine and the combine. And so, like, I would imagine the Blazers are going to have like their whole front office contingent so. out there. So I'll I'll be there for that. Uh, thanks again for doing this, man. Hey, anytime, brother.